Hi, friends. You're listening to Midlife Plot Twists. I'm your host, Lucy Baber. This podcast is for anyone who's gotten to their 30s, 40s, or 50s and realized life isn't always as linear as we expected. Tune in monthly as I interview guests about their own midlife plot twists and hear how they've navigated all of life's unexpected twists and turns. Hi, everyone. It's Lucy Baber here, and I am interviewing an acquaintance slash friend, somebody that I've gotten to know over the past uh, couple of years. Her name is Jenna Matlin, and she is actually my tarot reader, in addition to just being an awesome human being that I love following on social media. And since Jenna, we haven't really gotten to know each other too well outside of our times when you do readings for me, I'm going to give you space to introduce yourself, introduce your business. And also, please, if you don't mind, tell us how old you are. Mm. Well, thank you so much for thinking of me and having me on and Mm -hmm. having this time for us to get to know each other a little better and have these really important conversations. So thank you. My name is Jenna Matlin, like you said, and I am a professional intuitive, tarot card reader, psychic medium, all those goodies. Mm -hmm. And I'm 45 this year. Okay. So yeah, that is me. I work full time as a self-employed intuitive and um, I was in Philly until 2019. And then I moved to North Carolina. Uh, But a lot of my client base is pretty international at this point. Mm. So it doesn't feel like I, you know, that I'm stuck to one place. I can kind of work remotely. So, which is great news for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you actually said the word that I intended to say, and for some reason skipped over intuitive tarot reader. Tell me more about how the word intuitive uh, guides your practice and what that means for you. Yeah. So these days, the word intuitive is often used interchangeably with psychic because the word psychic is often just riddled with a lot of stereotypes that people want to not associate themselves with. And so they use intuitive as kind of the nom de plume uh, for what's, what's really psychic. So to be, you can be intuitive and not be psychic. But I don't know if you can be psychic and not intuitive. I don't you, know if you can call yourself psychic and not be intuitive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I work often with people who find that, I mean, it's all over the map, but people find themselves at crossroads typically mm-hmm. when they're weighing options. The number two words that are almost in every single intake form any client makes with me is clarity and hope. Mm -hmm. So when people are looking to feel, you know, that the universe has got their back on some level, that their suffering has meaning, that there is a way through when we feel very confused and lost. Um, That's often when what drives people to get readings. Mm -hmm. And so I do a lot of that. And then my mediumship, which I really love, is also connecting to love mm-hmm. and connecting to a feeling that eases suffering. So uh, I love what I do. I love what I do. And I love being able to serve people in this way. Absolutely. Yeah. I So I, I believe you and I spoke about this when we first... At, I keep wanting to say met, I believe we first actually met online. So it feels weird to say that uh, virtually, at least over the phone. But yeah, when we first met, I probably gave you a little bit of backstory. But in case, you know, it's been a couple of years. And also for my listeners, in high school and college and throughout my 20s, I was extremely conservative and religious. And the idea of getting a tarot reading was completely way far off my radar. I actually, I can still think back to a mentor I had in college who I went to school, I'm 40. um, And I went to school in a super conservative college in Northern Indiana. 
uh, from 2000 to 2004. So that's a little bit of context for where this question is coming from, because the whole like idea of yoga being normalized was still kind of coming around. And I remember saying to my mentor at the time, who was also super conservative, I think I'm going to try yoga. And she was like, oh, no. I would not do that. That is just opening doors for Satan all left and right. (laughs) And, you know, now the person that I am today, I'm like, what? That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But at the time, I took that to heart to some extent. I was kind of deconstructing my religious beliefs at the Mm. time already. Mm. But anyway, so how did I get from that person to somebody who has refers to another person as my tarot reader? (laughs) You know, it it was definitely a journey, but what I, what I wanted to bring up is that uh, what set you apart as I was kind of starting my search was, you know, I I reached a point in my mid thirties where I was like, let's just try all the things I was afraid to try before. Let's just, (laughs) you know, explore what else is out there because I've spent so much of my life closing all the doors and holding them shut. But, but actually that's probably not the life that I want. And I'd like to see what else is out there. So I went in search of uh, looking for tarot readers. And what I loved about your online presence, your website, your brand is that intuitive piece really came through for me. To me, it feels when, when you talk about all of your mystical services, uh, if I can refer to it as that. Um, It doesn't feel like it's coming from a place of like, there there certainly is, you know, a little bit of a a magical element. But Mm -hmm. when you speak about it, it almost sounds like more of a place of psychology. Mm -hmm. That that's where it really resonated for me. And it made sense was I tell people all the time, I don't go to get my cards read or to to talk to my tarot reader because I want to know the future. I go because to me, it feels a little bit more like a choose your own adventure. (laughs) And a lot of times when we speak, first of all, you, you have, you really have nailed the things that I maybe didn't even know I was leaving out. You you've always named them. You've always been like, wait, no, what about this other piece? You've seen that very clearly uh, during our readings, but also you've never presented anything as like written in stone. You've always said, you know, this is, this is the path that I see you going down. This is, this is where this card is leading you um, or this moment is leading you. And I've always felt a lot of agency over what do I want to do about that? How do Mm -hmm. I want to accept or reject that reading as my definite future? And you've always talked about how, you know, the future is really, pliable and and we do have a lot of choice there and it is kind of like I I think you seem like the kind of person and I'm saying this for the people who are skeptics right like Mm -hmm. I buy into everything you talk about but even (laughs) if you're not into like tarot specifically you seem like the kind of person that if we took the cards out of the picture completely you would still be able to hear the words that I'm saying Mm -hmm. and translate that into a helpful, constructive conversation where I left feeling like I had options. Does that make sense? Is that kind of yeah um, how you feel your work is? Yeah, I think that that's the intuitive part mm-hmm. over the psychic part or the cards part, which yes. is I'm I have become skilled over the years to really hear people, mm-hmm. really hear them. And I'm a good systems thinker. Mm -hmm. So I can very quickly sketch an internal map of somebody else, um, which is a skill set of itself. It requires a huge amount of empathy, which definitely is true about me. And so whether you believe in tarot or not, from a mystical standpoint, we can just look at it from a symbolic standpoint. Mm -hmm. And what makes it so helpful is that people may not understand or feel resistant to whatever it is is, that's concerning them, but there's there's something about visually looking at tarot that makes things click in a way that few things do. 
Yeah. I talk about tarot as actually a really excellent whole brain activity. So if people are looking to feel that they're using the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere a little more equally, mm-hmm. I always recommend tarot because the right side of the brain is spatial, it's symbolic, it is systems, it is relational, it is intuitive. And then you have your left side of the brain, which is linear, you know, causal, wants the time framework, mm-hmm. wants it's 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 steeped in language and logic. So when you look at a tarot reading, your right side of the brain is firing off. And then you train yourself to take that and then shove it all over into the left side of the brain. So where you explain its significance in linear terms. Yes. That's really the heart of what makes a tarot reading really amazing. And so when people start reading tarot, they go, oh man, this is really growing my intuition. And I don't, I don't know if I believe that that's what's happening exactly, because I think we all are very naturally intuitive. What's happening is that you're training your brain to listen better Mm. to the intuition because we're not trained for it in school. Like we are very heavily left brain leaning in Mm. our modern society. And I think that that is, that has come at a cost in many ways. So that's, that's kind of a nutshell about the more brain science science aspect of tarot. So there is a psychological piece in that Um, tarot is about relationships, relationships with others, relationships with yourself, relationships with divine and how we're navigating those relationships. And also the stories that we're telling ourselves about those relationships and the stories that we tell about how our actions will cause effects down the road. Um, And so that's another piece in all of this. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense to me. And I love how you also brought in the the visual piece of the cards. I had never really considered before, but it really is a visual storytelling tool uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you can, you can sit and you can talk to your therapist all day and things can still feel kind of fuzzy afterwards, but seeing seeing a card where somebody is being stabbed by 10 different uh, swords <laughs> is, right. is a little different. You walk away with a little bit, something, something a little bit more concrete, a little bit more easy to kind of latch on to. And yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Just that, that, that does help form different kinds of brain connections and, and it, it mm-hmm. kind of reinforces it a lot easier. But of course I don't, I don't want to minimize the mystical aspect as well. Um, again, I know some of my audience might be a little bit more skeptic, but then there are those who are like, yes, tell me more about all the all the good woo stuff. So mm-hmm. so there is that piece as well. And and that's where I say, you know, there are there are absolutely times that you have heard me and come into that space with me because of the things that I've told you. And then there are times when you have just come out of left field and said, but what about this other thing? And I've been like, whoa, I didn't even mention that. And how did you, how dare you know that? How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, tell me a little bit more about how that became a piece of your work as well. Um, Well, I want to talk about the psychological piece because there's a couple of things I want to, I want to quickly mention. So the psychology, the psychology piece you know, what I do is not psychology. Like it's not cognitive behavioral therapy. It is not, you know, internal family systems. It is not accepted as a commitment therapy. It's not based on research, but I, I can tell you that therapy definitely has a nod to tarot because tarot is far more ancient than therapy. Yes. Like it's a very strange coincidence to me that there are 16 court cards and 16 Myers-Briggs personality assessment profiles, (laughs) you know, just saying, Um, (laughs) and that tarot is, and unlike a a therapist, I'm not going to be like, so like, what do you like? What do you, what do you think? Um, (laughs) You've got to come to your own. I'm like, you're in danger, girl. You need to get right. So I, (laughs) um, I'm, if people want more, a directive experience, 
then I'm probably their girl mm-hmm. now. So when people, so then that brings me to another thing. So when people say that they're, they're skeptical or critical of tarot, I often question what exactly is it that you're actually critical of mm. because it's never the same answer. And so people have formed internalized biases and internalized stereotypes that actually are often untrue. So I'm like, you're actually critical of something that's not even real Mm -hmm. about all of this. So that's another piece that when people are, you know, are critical, I'm like, but what, it's like someone saying, well, I'm really critical of like airplanes. (laughs) Okay. But what (laughs) about that though? Like, well, they all crash a lot. No, they actually don't. Here's the data. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I always encourage people to examine their beliefs and come and get a reading and be open-minded. And, and I think, well, with people who see me, they're pleasantly surprised or sometimes unpleasantly, like they're just surprised (laughs) they had no idea that it was like how it is. Mm -hmm. So there's that piece you can be completely. And that's what I love about tarot specifically. Mm -hmm. Is it such a, an egalitarian practice Mm -hmm. that you can be completely non-mystical, non-whatever Mr. Mrs. Logic person and tarot is still going to work for you. Hmm. You don't need to have that piece. Tarot meets people where they are. Mm. Yes. But the act of reading may open someone to mystical experiences. And I mean, what does that mean to be, to be mystical? Does that mean just to be that there's some kind of mysterious something of rising in the reading? I think so. Um, in, in what I see, I really watch that there's a voice to a tarot uh, reading and it's not my voice. I'm not that smart (laughs) at all. And so my job is to faithfully transmit that voice as clearly as I can. And that includes not only the information, but also the, the tone I use, the volume I use and the word choice, like mm. all of that goes into that. Yeah. So when we talk about mystical, like, I, I think that the, there's so, there is so much mysticism in the everyday world, mm. which is for me, yeah, there is something greater. I don't know if I don't necessarily need to feel like I want to go, oh, it's, it's, it's this thing or that thing. And and they want you to eat oranges on Friday or whatever. Like, <laughs> I don't know, but I just know that there's something bigger than myself at work and I trust it. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. So let's talk about midlife and how that uh, shows up in the people that you work with what what have you seen in your work Are, have you seen certain trends around different phases of life have you have you seen um people showing up with similar questions depending on like where they're at in their journey yeah there are certainly like certain ages where i tend to see more uh clients because the human condition is very similar one of them is actually in the late twenties, I see a lot of people and that's a Saturn return. So they may be questioning some of the things that they chose for their career or they feel lost or they're like, I should have had it together by now, you know? And the answer is like, no, you, no, you don't. Who told you that (laughs) lie for midlife women in midlife? um, It's often concerning, honestly, leaving marriages, Mm finally finding their voice, finally leaning in hard to their careers. Like it's a more ver- varied kind of thing. So if they'd had children younger, then this is the time where they're now leaning hard into the career piece often. Mm-hmm. Um, or they had children later and they're trying to juggle a career that is naturally where it should be for someone in their forties mm-hmm. and young kids. Mm-hmm. 
And often this is juggling leaving relationships that no longer function or work or, or didn't. That's a piece. Uh, and then the other piece is really like working through trauma, often from childhood, that's become very, very clear that this is what I need to be doing right now. Mm. So those tend to be kind of the big places that uh, people come to get readings for. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. And that's interesting about the uh, the later 20s, too, that I guess, I mean, the fact is that um, decades of life don't happen in a vacuum and they all kind of bleed into one one another. Um, but but that you see such like a stark kind of difference between those two different phases is is fascinating to me. This is maybe a silly question and I don't know if you can answer it off the top of your head, but like a ballpark, um, how many like percentage of your clients do you think probably fall between the like 35 to 50 year old age range? I think that's probably my largest age range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really when women are going through a lot, like you have, like all the things that I said before, you have women now having to negotiate elderly parents mm-hmm. and what the heck we're going to do with them or what is going on there. I love this age. Like, I don't know, like if you've talked about this with, with others and it feels like a phenomenon that I went through. And it seems like a lot of women who hit 40 go mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. that you hit 40 and you no longer give any Fs about anything. <laughs> and you're like, actually, I'm fucking amazing and beautiful. Yes. And I'm like, why didn't this come like 20 years ago? <laughs> like we just like it's like we finally and here's the insane thing is that men and women who both hit their 40s spiritually, intellectually hit their prime mm-hmm. with men that's celebrated. with women, it isn't. So women have to deal with this much greater cognitive dissonance about coming to their power in a society that demerits them for it. But if they were men, it would just be game on. Oh yeah. I mean, just the language that we use. I mean, you want to be, well, okay. So backing up, (laughs) you hit your forties, there is there is tons and tons of evidence and research that says like your a, a woman's hormones are kind of in the phase of throwing one last major party <laughs> and uh i think there is a lot to be said for like you you might feel out your most beautiful your most powerful because our bodies are saying like go hard you have you know maybe another decade before a lot of these pieces are are going to kind of go into hibernation mode, not necessarily shut down, but these are the last fucks you're going to give. (laughs) And and so uh, use that to your advantage and and go hard. But we see a woman in her forties who is owning that. And what do we do? What is our, what language do we have to describe that woman? It's either putting her on way too big, high of a pedestal, and you know cliche stupid uh saying like she's a girl boss she's a she's a a badass you know or and like all of that is still pretty demeaning because it's just kind of like women existing suddenly have to have this like gendered uh power title girl boss uh but or you know we slut shame and we say like oh you know this woman is uh she she's attracting younger men she's a cougar you know or like she's she's having a midlife crisis why is she wearing that there's not a lot of language for just like accepting that space it is it is a judgment on either side really and yeah men men do get to just kind of arrive and i don't know that there's language for that for women well, that's true because the language is a patriarchal language. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. so we are trying to negotiate our realities with only the tools of the male gaze truly at our disposal with which <laughs> to have those conversations. Yeah. And uh, it's deep. It's deep. It really and, is. Um, mm-hmm. I, so what, 
like what does a what does a typical conversation look like for with your clients to do a lot of people seem to understand that and see that clearly when it's called out to them or how are they moving into that space and how how does your process tend to go talk through that well i think like i can't generalize like in a bucket sure. too mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. But I can talk about like another phenomenon that happens that I see happens with clients in their 40s. And I call it (laughs) tongue in cheek, really, but the international line of crotchetiness. (laughs) And like everyone has that line. And when it when you get to that line, for some people, it's in their early 30s, like late 30s. For some people, it's in their late 40s. But everyone comes to this line. And when you get to that line, there is a decision that you're going to make, which is I'm going to I'm going to chase comfort because I'm tired. Yeah. (laughs) And and I, I really don't feel like or want to learn new things, try new things, be open to new things. And they allow that closing down effect. Because as you do get older, I think you do have to like push against inertia a little harder Mm -hmm. because you're having to relearn things. Mm -hmm. So I'll give a quick example, like technology. Mm -hmm. I really want to implore women to stay on top of it. Don't just get comfortable with your platforms because it's going to change. And yeah, I know you have to learn the freaking like thing, like five different times in five different ways. <laughs> but if you don't keep pushing, you're going to get left behind. Mm. And so that's like an example of that international line of crotchetiness. <laughs> um, and then the expectation that everyone else has to cater to that for you. Yes. We have to watch that. And so there's a moment in our lives where this line becomes apparent Mm. and people come to get readings because they're feeling it. It's uncomfortable, but they don't want to do what is required in order to stay open. And so they come for a reading, hoping there could be a magical answer (laughs) that they haven't thought of yet. Mm Mm-hmm. And usually the reading is, nope, this, that you're, you're going to choose your heart. It's either going to be the hard now or the hard later, but these are the yeah. options. And here is what those choices look like for you in a, in a probability line down the road. So I see like tarot for me is often, I tell people like tarot at heart is when we're looking at it from a predictions perspective it is like the ghost of Christmas future, <laughs> you know, where like you're taken, like Scrooge is taken to, oh man, there's my grave. No one came because everyone hates you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then he comes and he wakes up and he's like, he has that rock bottom moment mm-hmm. where he's like, right. Like all of the, the pain of staying comfortable in my own assumptions, beliefs, resistances, whatever, whatever, because I'm busy imagining ways that I'm a victim (laughs) are going to cause great like pain down the road. Mm -hmm. And so I like doing that with tarot. It's like, don't take my word for it. Like, let's, let's look at it. Mm -hmm. And it's such a clear call um, that I can't think of too many interventions that have such a strong effect in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. And, and just to clarify, when we talk about people seeking comfort, that doesn't necessarily mean comfort in the, in the way that will be best for them. That is comfort in the familiar sense. So it's more comfortable to stay in the painful relationship than it is to make those hard decisions to leave. The leaving might lead to actually more comfort, but uh, it's going to be hard and, and messy in the process. Oh yeah. You know, and that reminds me of another, um, theme I see Mm -hmm. is these failure to launch sons. Oh boy. (laughs) Oh girl. (laughs) I can tell you in every instance over the years, 
that when the mom finally like kicked him out, mm-hmm. somehow he figured it out. <laughs> I've never had an instance of, and there lies poor Jared, where he was kicked out on the sidewalk and he laid there until he turned to dust. <laughs> and there's something that I've noticed about men in particular or these sons. Like, I don't, I don't understand the mechanism, but it's like, why, why is there this need to have this like initiation process that hurts mm. for you to grow up? Why does it require that? What is going on culturally or physiologically where this actually has to kind of happen for men in a way I don't quite see for women, though I'm sure people could, you know, totally correct me. But what I've noticed is 95% of the kids who fail to launch are boys. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, again, uh, prior to recording, we were talking about how this this podcast was born out of uh, patterns and conversations I was having with my friends around this age and how we all kind of seem to be tackling these same similar themes, you mm-hmm. know, and it just kind of wears a different mask each time. But just last week I was, I was, I had dinner with a friend and we were talking about the men that we know who are now heading towards or in their forties and are still unable to problem solve in concrete ways because Mm -hmm. they were never asked to do that in their formative years, whether that was in childhood from their mothers in maybe their twenties from their girlfriends and wives. Uh, Women are very socially trained to problem solve for, for men and right. and just carry that burden and we we reach that point of burnout like you mentioned because we're tired of carrying everything for them but also the men fail to kind of come into their own because they aren't giving that given that that opportunity either when we constantly right. you know my kids come up to me all the time and say like can i have a snack of course you can get it like, I'm not going to give it to you, but yes, you can get it yourself. And and it's that, you know, how many moms, especially coming up in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. were just like, oh, oh, honey, you want a snack? Let me go get you something. I'll heat it up. I'll make the plate. And it it trickles down. It becomes, it kind of, it snowballs, you know, it becomes a mm-hmm. bigger issue the, the longer men go on with their lives, not being required to do that level of problem solving for themselves. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, that, and now I lost my train of thought. How did we get on to yeah. <laughs> failure oh, well, to launch? <laughs> well, yeah, I think that, you know, feminism brought women into the workplace and did so much for us. And I think some men were like, cool, you go Queens, you do you, but they were like, but you also have to change. Oh no. like you know and so they're really I mean there was a study where the happiest women are single women (laughs) with no kids and I'm like and the unhappiest ones are ones that are married to heteros so (laughs) I think that there is a great invitation for men to show up yeah in ways that they are socially conditioned to not even see. And my husband and I talk about this all the time. And I'm like, here's a stack of feminist books, get started because this is not (laughs) how this is going to work. And I remember him saying that he was complaining, like, God, my sister just expects me to come and change her attire for her. Like, what am I? And I was like, yeah, but you just show up to Thanksgiving and eat and leave. (laughs) And he was like, (laughs) touche. That women's labor has always been invisible. Mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. And it's that mental load as well as that, the, the managerial skill, which mm-hmm. women, it made sense when you were just a homemaker. Yeah, of course, but it's not like that anymore. Right. I feel that there is a great hunger in within, within women who need women, men to show up as true partners. And mm-hmm. the kind of patriarchy that's in the U S is very much the Marlboro 
man brand of patriarchy <laughs> where it's like they don't ask for help they don't know how okay you can shed exactly one tear when your horse dies and that <laughs> is it yeah and yeah. like whenever whenever i'm in online spaces and men are talking about the their lack of emotions there's typically this story that comes with it which is this and then I brought my pain to my girlfriend, my wife, my mom, and she laughed at me. So then I never said anything anymore. Oh. And it's like, that's your problem. Women can no longer be your emotional support animal. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. We're done. You have to do that work mm -hmm. because you benefit from that. And men need to show up for other men emotionally because all of that is placed on women to manage and hold. Mm -hmm. And then that keeps us from our own growth, that we are being trained to be like codependent enablers yes. where we never actually get our own needs met because we're so busy managing your needs. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I'm not surprised why so many women divorce in their 40s are like, nah, I'm good. I have like a 28-year-old little boyfriend. We, he comes over. We have fun. I make him some egos, and then he goes away. Like, <laughs> I can understand that. <laughs> and the thing Ooh. is, is men are seeing this criticism as an indictment upon their, their masculinity and their manhood instead of seeing it as women that want to love them. Mm -hmm. And want to love them in partnership, in true partnership, and want them to heal for themselves. Yeah. Want to respect them. Right. Oh, I know. Oh. The patriarchy is something else, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really does speak to this, this idea that kind of, I mean, I could go on rants all day, but like <laughs> we, we are, we are existing trying to find meaning within a capitalist patriarchal society that constantly like the system isn't set up for that the system does right. not support growth internally mm -hmm. it doesn't support that inner work and so how do we how do we move forward and in this phase of life i find that a lot of my peers are rejecting tradition because tradition no longer serves them. Mm -hmm. And in one way or another, they are saying it's time to shake this up. It's time to try the thing that I didn't, I wasn't willing to try before, or they're stuck and they see it and they just sit in it. Right. And, and they're just accepting that. Like I, I am so steeped in my tradition that I'm just going to wallow in it for the next 50 years. Yeah. I mean, it can feel very overwhelming when you really start to see how much that patriarchal system has oppressed women in so many ways. Um, and it can feel overwhelming, mm -hmm. but I think really the idea of women being for women is really yeah. important that we got each other mm -hmm. and we believe each other and we center each other because the larger society does not. And we have typically been socialized to also not center women. Yes. And so that shift where we're like, whatever, you know, like whatever, whatever happens with men or, or our relationship that we've got our friends mm -hmm. and that we're there for each other, but also really trusting our intuition. So coming back to intuition, when something doesn't feel right, I feel a lot of women shy away from the word abuse mm. in sessions. And I'm like, nope, this is an abusive relationship. And I know that that's a really hard and scary word, mm -hmm. but we have to see it for what it is in order to adequately both A, respond to it and B, heal from it, both for yourself and the other person who may be an abusive person because they were taught that's how you are. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and it's really, and we think, oh, well, there's been all of these, what's the word I'm thinking about? Like evolution, like women have gone so far, but I'm also seeing among clients a huge backslide with the disease, the youngest ones who see me mm -hmm. and the stuff they put up with are things that 
in the nineties, there's no way we would have put up with it. Like, I feel like there has been a backslide. And when I tell these clients, you know what it was like in the nineties? Um, yeah, no, like we weren't embarrassed to say we want a relationship. Mm. We weren't like just hanging out with a dude for a year and then him going, peace, thanks. And we're devastated because <laughs> he was utilizing some intentional ambiguity about the relationship to have a get out of jail whenever I want it card oh. while you were giving him the girlfriend experience that didn't happen then. Mm. people were boyfriends people were girlfriends there was a title and so in these ways this like weird hookup culture and an ambiguity and where it's okay to have a ton of sex everywhere but then you're actually shamed about wanting a relationship <laughs> what is going on yeah. and i'm seeing women of all ages, but mostly the younger thing of like allowing this hookup culture and these guys to take advantage of and shame them into, well, I didn't want to like pressure him. I, I like, stop trying to be the cool girl. Stop. Yeah. It is a device to control you and the relationship because abusive persons always want to make it about your behavior and their feelings. So if they always have you on your back foot where you're questioning yourself all the time, then you are absolutely not in control of what's going on in the relationship. And I see too many women always leaving the ball in the man's court. Yeah. And that doesn't like that, that is not noble. It is not noble to sit around and wait for him to finally dub the uh, girlfriend or maybe we'll get engaged, even though we've been dating for seven years. <laughs> it that, doesn't. I mean, it, it, it speaks to what we were just talking about that, that um, it's, it's shooting yourself in the foot because we have also trained that man to not be a decision maker. And so you're going to stay in that limbo. Right. There's nothing. And men don't often don't have the empathy to understand that women's is biological reality means that we need to make different choices in different ways. Mm, sure. Yeah. And so women, like what I see is women acting like one man who's kind of good, maybe is like a robo in the middle of the ocean that you now have to paddle towards or you're going to drown, <laughs> but it's not, it is more like there's so many boats in the water. Stop. <laughs> or the, the water ain't that deep. Put your feet under you that you don't, there's nothing noble in this, what we're doing though we're socialized to do it because we've been taught, well, men ask us. And I'm like, nope, the rules have changed. They've changed the rules on us, but expect us to act the same way in relationship. Mm -hmm. So everything is about women need to get like, not like meaner, but just fucking know your worth. Yeah. Step into it. And don't let, don't let them psychologically manipulate you into accepting something that in your heart doesn't feel right for you. Waiting is not noble and it will never give you what you really want. Without, you know, self-disclosing too much about the way that this conversation came about. I very clearly remember, I think my second reading with you Mm. This will stay with me the rest of my life. This, this nugget that you gave me at that point, you told me regarding the conversation that we were having, that it was as if I was sitting at the bottom of a dumpster, looking <laughs> up, believing that the sky was square, that the world was square, because mm -hmm. that was my point of view. That's all I could see. And you said, all you need to do is crawl out of the dumpster and you'll realize that there is a whole wide world out there of options. Um, and I feel like, God, I wish that more people could hear that, could be told that, that, you know, not, not in a prescriptive, my way is the only way, but, but just that there are other options. You the, like, just, just open your eyes and look around for a minute. Right. I think that so many people are so 
again, comfortable or familiar with their day to day that they really believe that that is the only option that's been presented to them and that they will ever have. And whether that is relationships, career, just like beliefs about self, you know, being in any space, recognize that like the thing that you see today isn't going to be the, doesn't have to be the only thing you ever see. Yeah. And I think that's really like another beautiful way that tarot shows us that because when often someone is in that stuck place and often that stuck place. So my advice is, you know, please everybody heal your abandonment trauma. This is the work. (laughs) This is the work because this is really what's keeping people. And so so we can look at that. Okay. Let's do a reading on what is the probability line. If you stay where you are, this is the control group reading. Mm -hmm. And then here's a reading on, if you have the courage and will to change, this is what this could look like. And then we do the reading Mm -hmm. and I can tell you not one time has the, the a reading been better than the B reading. Not once. (laughs) And I'm not, I'm not like, I don't do, I don't pull rabbits from hat. I'm not like choosing the cards to like force it. Yeah. It's just what arises. And I think that that's that piece of like looking for hope too, which is when you make the assumption that the universe is not incredibly gorgeously creative and regenerative and generous by staying, it's really like a faith problem and a trust problem. And you're, you are, you are manufacturing a future that's not even real. And that manufactured future has imprisoned you in something that is intolerable. So when, when that happens, usually inside somebody, let's call it a soul or a spirit, whatever, like whatever you want to call it. I don't know. There's a part of you, this essential you that is shaking at the bars of that and going, no, I want out. I want out. This is not right. And there's this like discomfort that you can't quite place. You don't know what it is. I call it like spiritual teething. Like something is really uncomfortable and you don't know what it is. And it's almost like, I feel like the spirit of somebody is dragging the ego of that person (laughs) to the reading and saying, you need to hear this ego me Mm. because otherwise they wouldn't have come. So it's really an internal battle that someone is having with themselves. And all I'm doing is, is showing them that internal, internal battle and going, there are two sides of you. There's one that has these beliefs but there's a part of you that believes and knows and wants more. And don't take my word for it. I can show you right in the cards mm-hmm. how that does arise and you can see it. And now you can trust yourself because I want you to think back to every time in your life where you were lost and scared and confused. She fucking made it though. Mm-hmm. She figured it out. And I know probably at the time you are like, you look back and go, wow, you know, I, I didn't realize I kind of knew what I, I, that I knew what I was doing, but I, I did. And that's what, that's the device that we can use and go, even if I don't trust the universe, I can look back on choices I've made and saw that I'm a badass and I'm still her Mm. and I have to remember her and I need to invoke her for these next steps. Yes. I want to shift gears a bit and get back to the cards. (laughs) Okay. Maybe these will be quick questions or maybe they'll be a little bit more in depth. First one, because I know people, people also bring stereotypes to different cards, right? The things that they've seen in media and heard or whatever. Is there a card that, or a set of cards that people are most afraid of? Oh yeah. Like everyone is afraid of death. Mm -hmm. Um, The devil Ten of Swords, the Tower. Um, and it's interesting because a common thing that happens is someone will be like, so like, I want to know about work or whatever, right? And so we'll pull some cards and then death comes up and then they go, does that mean I'm going to die? 
<laughs> and I'm like, no, like we weren't even asking about that. We we're asking about work, <laughs> like, <laughs> like keep focused woman, keep it focused, <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, there is that kind of fight against a cultural zeitgeist around mm-hmm. tarot or what popular culture may reveal about it, you know, that has caused these kind of knee jerk assumptions that really don't speak to the complexity and depth of each of these cards because tarot was created in the 1400s. Mm-hmm. We've been using this deck. It was first the Marseille, which people still use, and now the Right Away Smith. That is being used for divination or just spiritual readings, you know, since the 1700s. Mm-hmm. And so these cards are kind of like little Frankensteins of like bits and pieces that have glommed on over the years or have been let go over the years. Um, But the meanings change in regards to the culture of the moment, Mm -hmm. Um, which is why I love it. It it, it lends an incredible layered complexity that your standard Oracle cards to give you an example, do not have. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the major differences. Mm -hmm. That someone can create an oracle card like, oh, the universe got your back. And it's like, oh, be, appreciate today. All right, cool. Thank you. But tarot is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of layered meaning. Yeah. There's a richness to it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there's also like a universality to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a richness, there's a comp- complexity. And there's also like, you could give 10 different readings to 10 different people and have the death card show up in every single one. And the death card is going to mean something different for each person. Yeah. Yeah, it can. Now, sometimes like some readers are like, oh, I never read death is death. Death is transformation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's a desire to take the quote unquote scary cards and put a like fluffy spin on them. (laughs) Um, but I don't want to do that because that means we're really avoiding probably looking at what needs to be looked at mm-hmm. because if you're like, oh, it doesn't mean death; it's just transformation. And it's like, but if you don't look at the death part, we're not going to actually get to the transformation yeah. because you're just avoiding the process. So death can mean, it can mean death. I mean, I have seen it as a physical death. Mm-hmm. Um, most often though, death is, is often a stop sign that this thing needs to, this cannot continue as it is the relationship, the job, your, you know, whatever like attitude or spiritual place you're at mm-hmm. or stuckness can often really be kind of, it shows up and arises in that way. Yeah, that makes sense. Again, this could, this could be a helpful question or not, but are there specific cards that you see showing up or maybe just even in the last week, or I don't know, like you could speak to this, this age range or, you know, your very recent experience. Are there patterns and themes that you see showing up again and again, again, either like for midlife or like recently regarding the placement of the planets or something? I don't know. Is there a card that like you see lots of 40 year old women showing up over and over again or is there a card that like you've been pulling a lot because Saturn is in its I don't know fourth moon or what I don't know about all that stuff but um are there things that like show up frequently and you start to like notice patterns with that Mm, yeah you know honestly I, I can't I can't remember off the cuff okay I honestly do so many readings Mm-hmm. that like, I, I can't, I don't know if anything's coming to mind okay. that's specific to that. I mean, a tarot card reading, like a standard Celtic cross, which is like 10 cards mm-hmm. and the deck is 78 cards. You've really got billions of yes. combinations <laughs> yes. and it's very possible that no run of cards will ever appear in your lifetime the same way again. So the readings are so truly unique because of that. Mm. Um, hmm. That's that's a good reminder. I guess as somebody who has only experienced my own readings where 
there are themes to cards because it's my individual life. And I, I've dabbled in doing readings for other people, but obviously I'm not professional or experienced in any real way. We can get kind of like in a bubble as a as mm-hmm. a tarot consumer recipient. I don't know. Oh, where yeah, we yeah, yeah. where we believe that like this story is what probably what you're telling everybody. But um <laughs> the truth is it's not. And I just no. don't know other people's lives. Right. Right. I mean, they can be similar in what is said, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, is he coming back? Is Chad coming back? No, girl. Right. Like, but that, <laughs> but, right. But the way it's said is unique. And I take my, I take my cue from the cards. It's very important to me. And, and in the book that my book that just came out, like it's really important that as a reader, I'm very clear on what voices are rising. So is this my, just my opinion? Well, someone's not coming for my opinion. I may have an opinion and go, Hey, do you want to hear my opinion? This isn't the reading. It's just something else. (laughs) Um, And then we have the reading and then we have maybe some psychic hits and maybe I get triggered and there's some bias I need to watch for that. Mm. I have to be really conscious of the voice because my best work is when I can get out of my own way. Mm. and let the cards truly speak. And that's what people are there for. So in terms of like common cards, no. And in fact, it's astounding how unique they all can be. Mm. Um, but I will say, and I talk about this in, in the in the book too, that the tone or the the volume of the reading is directly relational to the level of resistance that that person is feeling hmm. that what's so crazy to me about readings. And I, I really could only see this after doing like thousands of readings hmm. is that it's not even just what the information it's conveying, but that the information is being conveyed as if the tarot knows that person hmm. on a deep level. So yeah. for example, let's just say Chad's not coming back, right? Well, there's a million ways that the tarot can say, Chad is not coming back, girl. It, it can it can say it in a very gentle way. Hey, darling, honey bear, honey, Chad is not coming. Or sometimes it can be like a bitch slap from the universe. Get it, it through your thick skull. Chad is not coming. Right? <laughs> so then I started to ask my, like, ask myself, why is the tone different? What is going on here? And I came to realize that the tone was being structured in such a way to get the client to do something, not do something, avoid something, lean into something. And it's unique to this psychology and the spiritual awareness of that person. Mm -hmm. Are you with me? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I love that. And that's really what, what makes this process so unique is that there is a strong element of you as the reader, as the intuitive. And then yeah. there's also a strong element that is beyond you. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, so going back to the beginning of our talk, like mm-hmm. that is the mystical part that I see all the time. And it's, I'm like, how, like, how does it know how to do that? I don't know, but I know that whatever the function of that is, is really in alignment with our greatest good, really wants the best for us, but we live in a world of free will. So it's mostly like just nudging or just being like, yo, this is the deal. And I'm going to say it in a way to hopefully get you over like whatever resistance or whatever you're on. Um, but then after that, it's up to you. So with someone who's come from a, a religious background, mm-hmm. that's the, if it's unexamined, they will often have what's called a deterministic philosophy of life, mm-hmm. which is your life has been written out for you, that there is this hard fate yeah, and you're just kind of a log in, in a river going down it. Yeah. And that a reading will tell you things, um, but maybe there's just not a lot of ability to change that. And I will know within a minute or two if I'm dealing with someone who has that 
um, mm-hmm. perspective. And I'm like, okay, so that's not my approach as a reader. Like, we're not going to sit here and you say nothing. And I'm going to talk at you about your fate. Um, <laughs> that that's, that's just, you're going to find readers who do do that. And that mm-hmm. might be a better fit for you, but that's not how I want to use tarot. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it doesn't work with my philosophy, which is we are in relationship to the universe and that relationship is a dance where they they sometimes lead, we sometimes lead. It's co-creative, it's constructive, it's helpful, but it is a living relationship, right? Mm. In that you're going to be pissed off at the universe and you should be sometimes like, that's a relationship, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, but it But it's a negotiation. So the universe is like, hey, listen, I'd really like it if you were to do ABC because of some karmic work that you, your spirit maybe said you needed or whatever in this lifetime. And you're like, yeah, I'm just not going to do that this lifetime. Okay, cool, cool. Well, maybe next time, maybe next lifetime. <laughs> it really is. Like, I feel that there is this no do or die. Mm. It's always like, all right, these are kind of what we said we're going to do, but then it didn't happen. Okay, well, next time. There's no sense of finiteness in that, in the readings that I see. Yeah. And I love that much more kinder, gentler, and also holistic way of seeing things. It's not just like, if you mess up, you're going to go to hell forever or heaven forever. It's just like, we all get multiple chances in this lifetime. If you want to just keep it to this lifetime, like there's always hope there's always a way to heal. There's always, we can come back at it again. Yeah. It, it's dynamic. There's, there's always opportunity to kind of reshape and re form right. new ideas. Yeah. And so when we're talking about people of our age, like in their forties, mm-hmm. yeah, you're not like the hot young thing anymore. Yeah. Your body's doing things, things are happening, but this is your second life Yeah, as a woman. And it's going to be very different, but that doesn't mean it's a diminished one. It's a very different one. Yeah. Um, and so I tend to see that the forties is when we start to, to start to kind of get into that second tempo of the second life. Hmm. And I honestly see menopause like as crazy making as it can be. It really is a second kind of adolescence because after that you become the crone, which is the wise woman. Mm. And there's something very beautiful about that instead of like, oh, there it goes, there I go, you know, like we are no longer tethered to the work of reproduction and (laughs) all of that energy that went into that now becomes something untethered and powerful and amazing. But because we've been in this patriarchal system, we have been trained to ignore that in ourselves and in others. I love that. I, I, it makes me think, and I know we're, we're short on time now, but it, just a quick plug. It makes me think of this book I read that just came out this year. Um, when, when, when women were dragons, um, <laughs> it is a book, a, a fictional, uh, book all about women actually turning in the dragons and what that could look like as a society. If, if women just kind of like disappeared one day and went off to live the rest of her life as a dragon, um, <laughs> highly recommend it. And it sounds like exactly this, this kind of, um, this opportunity that you're talking about this second chance, um, before I let you go, Mm -hmm. please tell everyone how they can follow you and tell us about, um, any new things that you want people to, to know about in your, in your work. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so I just published a book like last week called Will You Give Me a Reading? Mm-hmm. It's available on Llewellyn, Amazon, yada, yada, yada. And it's the art of not just reading tarot for yourself, but how to read for another well. Mm-hmm. So if you have an interest in anything that I've been talking about um, or an interest of how do I center myself as like a really good practitioner of tarot for another person, whether that's just my friends or maybe a side gig, whatever, Mm -hmm. that's what I have out in the world right now. 
people can find me. Everything is my name. So Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube can all, uh, Jenna Matlin will get you to me. I do a weekly like taroscope readings for people. You can sign up for that. And I also do birthday readings. You can mm-hmm. sign up for that on my website, uh, which is my name, jennamatlin.com. And thank you so much for this really fun and um, deep conversation, Lucy. Oh, thank you. This was, I could have talked for hours. Yeah, I <laughs> I love hearing your perspective on things. And I'm so glad that people have even more ways to access your wisdom, uh, especially through your new book. And I will just also put a little plug. This is going to go live in December. And one of my personal uh, habits is to get a reading for the new year. So that is a lovely way to start the year. And if you've never done it before, I highly recommend contacting Jenna um, to start your year off with a lot of clarity. Yay. Yeah. You know what? Actually, I am, I'm going to be doing kitchen sink readings again in January. I like okay. by the time this airs, yeah, um, that will be up for people. So Kitchen sink means it's a layered reading with oracles, tea leaf reading, Lenormand. It is like the kitchen sink, everything but the kitchen sink. <laughs> um, so that'll be up by the time this airs. If, and they're limited. They're very limited. I won't have many available because they're very labor intensive. But mm-hmm. if people are interested, they will be up at the time, at the time of this um, recording. So thank very you. Very exciting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, I hope people get a lot out of this. I'm sure they will. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me once again. It was wonderful. Thanks for listening to Midlife Plot Twists. Be sure to hit subscribe and check back monthly for each new episode. Since monthly podcasts don't automatically download, you can also follow me on Instagram at Lucy Baber and Facebook at Lucy Baber Photography to be the first to know when each new episode is released.